Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter one is where we're gonna be this morning. Genesis, Exodus, easy to find, second book in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have people who are coming up the aisles right now who have a Bible, they'd love to get in your hands. If you throw your hand up, they'll get a Bible to you. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you. Go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter one is where we're gonna be this morning, looking at the first 14 verses in Exodus. Now, as you make your way there, here, here's what we're doing. Over, over the next while, really, really the rest of the winter into the spring, we're gonna be walking through the book of Exodus, verse by verse through the book of Exodus. It's a pretty big book, all right? It took the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness. We will not take that long, um, but we will take enough time to, to unpack, walk through what this book has for us. And, and you might be thinking as we're digging into this, wait a minute, why, why do we spend so much time looking at an Old Testament book. Why would we spend so much of our effort digging into to the Old Testament? I mean, I mean we're, we're, we're Christ followers. We're, we're like New Testament Christians. We're, we're part of the new covenant. Shouldn't we be like just digging into the, like, let's go see what the red letters have to say. Let's go spend time in the gospels. Don't we want to spend time there? And here's what happens though when we skip out of the Old Testament and just jump into the New Testament. What happens is when we get to the New Testament, we're actually reading more of the end of the story. And that's important. We should do that. We should spend time there as well. But we can't miss the bigger story of what God has been doing for thousands of years. And so we want to jump into the Old Testament because God's setting us up for what's coming, the grand finale of Jesus coming and living the life we couldn't live. Dying on our behalf, being raised again and conquering sin and death and Satan, coming again to restore us to himself for eternity. And so we read through the scriptures and 66 different books written by over 40 different authors, books of history and poetry and letters and prophecy and 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, written over thousands of years by these authors who are, who are inspired by the Holy Spirit, who are, who are led along by the Spirit of God so that God's words, as he intended to be, exactly would be written down what he wanted expressed. And all of these books spanning all of these cultures and all of these years with one unified story. The story of the gospel, the good news of a God who has rescued us. And that's why reading through the whole Bible is so good for us to do. It's, it's good to, to get the whole picture of the story of God's word. And, and I mean, I hope you get our e-newsletter because just a, a while ago, as, as New Year's hit, we sent out a, a resource for us to, to read through God's word together. If you, if you don't have a reading plan, it's just this, this opportunity over the next two years for us to read two chapters a day, read through all of God's word, the New Testament twice and the Psalms twice. And, and what the resource has, if you didn't get it and you want it, just call the office or fire an email. We'll get it to you. It's got this, this email that'll come to you where you click on it. There's your reading, the two chapters to read, plus a, a devotional guide to, to help you follow through and unpack what you're reading. And then other resources to click on if you want to go even deeper than that. But we can read that together. It's just a, a great resource for us to go through scripture together. It's, it's why in our Harvest Kids ministry, we're, we're taking the kids all the way through Scripture, seeing the gospel, seeing Jesus Christ all the way from Genesis right to Revelation. And we've put a resource in your hands, if you're a parent, where you can grab the same book, this book that they're going through, and, and in that gives opportunity for you during the week to track with your kids. You're like, hey, what do I do? How do I get my kids in the Word? How do I lead family devotions? It's laid out for you. You can just get that, this book. 
And if you can't afford the book, stop by our welcome table. Say, I want one of these. I can't afford it. We'll get you a book to lead your family through scripture. It's just important for us to walk through together. That's why I'm unpacking the Old Testament. So important for us because you start to understand what God's been doing as he's leading up to this rescue. So when you get to Jesus, there's this, oh my goodness, this is how it all plays out. For me, it's a little bit like this. It's, have you ever seen, it came out in like 1995. If you have a super old movie, I'm about to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it, okay? I'm gonna spoil the whole movie, but it's, it came out in like 1995. If you haven't seen it yet, I don't feel bad for ruining it, all right? You get 25 years to see this movie. All right, so in the movie, it's a movie with Kevin Spacey and the FBI are searching for, looking for this guy named Kaiser Sose. He's an international criminal. They've never been able to get him. No one's ever even seen the guy. They don't know what he looks like and they're, they're interviewing all these guys. The FBI are trying to find out who Kaiser Sose is and all the movie, they're interviewing a few criminals and Kevin Spacey's one of the ones they're interviewing all the way through. And then the final scene, this is the big wow moment. At the very last scene, it's revealed that as they release Kevin Spacey and say, hey, thanks for trying to help us as you tell us all about Kaiser Sose. As he leaves and walks out into freedom, the FBI guy, lights go on. He's like, wait a minute, that was Kaiser Sose. And it's this wow moment, right? It's like Sixth Sense. You've ever seen that movie? I won't ruin that one because it's only 20 years old. It's that I see dead people moment, right? And, and you're like, what? And what happens is you go back and, and, and this is what I did. You rewatch the usual suspects because then as you watch through, you're like, oh yeah, there's the clue there. Oh, there's where it made sense there. Oh, there. And you see all the way through where the clues were pointing to him being, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying Kaiser Sose, the usual suspects is like this awesome scripture. I'm just saying like that, when you come to the scriptures, and you start to look at the grand narrative of scripture, what God's been rolling out. When you come to the New Testament and the apostle John sees Jesus and says, behold the lamb of God, you have this, what? Of course, this is what it's been all leading up to. So we wanna unpack the book of Exodus and seeing right from the very beginning what God's been rolling out, pointing to Jesus the whole time. So when you come to the Gospels, you see all the way through Exodus what God has been pointing to, what the story he's unfolding as he's been working this rescue out from the start. So let's dig in. You look at verse one there. Verse one starts this way. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So, so you, you bust open the book of Exodus, and right away you can read through those first seven verses, and you're kind of like, What? What's with this list of names? And, and what you, you miss is, is you see this laid out through the whole story of what's going on and recognize that this is the second of five books that Moses has written. He, he writes the Pentateuch, Pentateuch meaning five scrolls, Exodus being the second, Genesis being the first. And he, he's starting off the book of Exodus. And, and we can miss something a little bit because in the translation, you, you lose a word that this book actually starts with in the original Hebrew. It starts with the word, with the word and. And, and it gives this indication that, wait a minute, something's continuing here. There's a story that's going on. He says, and these are the names. M Moses isn't just writing a separate book here. He's continuing on. It's, it's a little bit like when you're watching Star Wars and they all start with that scrolling letters. Why? Their letters kind of say to you, hey, this isn't the beginning of this thing. 
There's some stuff that's been happening already and you're kind of coming into the middle of this. Some things have gone down. And then and Moses is starting off the books, book of Exodus here saying, hey, listen, this whole idea of God rescuing his people so he can dwell with them, so he can be with them, it actually begins in Genesis where God created everything out of nothing. He, he provided everything perfectly for his creation so that there was a, a shalom, a peace over creation. And yet Adam and Eve in, in, in their rebelliousness said, you know what, we, we don't trust God. We don't think he's a good God. He's not a good person to follow. He's not gonna be our God and our father. We're gonna go our own way because we think he's withholding something from us. And they choose sin in that moment. In that moment, the peace is shattered. The peace that Adam and Eve had with God is broken. The peace they had with each other is broken. Shame enters in. Sin enters in. In Genesis 3, God pronounces judgment because of this sin. But in the the midst of his judgment, in Genesis chapter 3, he gives hope. He gives grace. There's this promise of a rescue. And God says, here's the judgment because of your sin, but someone is coming. A rescuer will come that will rescue you from this sin and shame and brokenness. And and in Genesis 3.15, the promise is this, that someone's going to come and the the enemy will bruise his heel. He he will suffer. But here's what I love. With that same bruised heel, he will crush the enemy's head. And God promises this deliverer to Adam and Eve. Hey, hey, you guys are being sent out, but a deliverer's gonna rescue you. Years later, the promise would come back again in Genesis to a guy named Abraham. And God says, hey, this deliverer that's coming, it starts to get a little more clear because the deliverer that's coming is gonna come from your family. Now, now, Abraham, that's a tough promise for him to hear because he's a guy with no kids. He had no family. He was old, his wife was old, no hope of having kids, but they were promised a family's gonna come from you. And from that family, more kids than the stars in the sky, a nation will come from you. And from that nation will come the rescuer that will bless the whole world and And then throughout Genesis, you see this promise over and over again. God promising, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to multiply you. But the promise keeps coming in these impossible situations. Promise to Abraham and Sarah, barren, no kids. Their kids then, God miraculously provides, but then they're barren. Then the next generation, barren. And then not only that, not only is a promise coming in an impossible situation where where will these kids come from, the families that are starting to grow out of this promise, these families would make a, a reality TV show family look like Little House in the Prairie. Like they were crazy. It's like, it's like don't let your kids read about these families because these guys are jacked up. And it was this, this promise keep coming here in the midst of all this chaos. And now we enter the story here in Exodus, years later. And we see this name Jacob. And if you've been tracking with with the history as it unfolds in Genesis, you'd be like, oh, Jacob, I know he is. And this promise that it must be growing because God called him Israel. His his name was Jacob or Israel. And and this promise that it must be growing because here it says 70 people came into Egypt. So Jacob with Joseph and his family come into Genesis. Joseph, you get to the end of Genesis and Joseph is in a place of, of, of leadership in Egypt. It's like, man, the promises are finally coming true. And then in verse seven, the promise just explodes from 70 people to, to they became fruitful and increased greatly. How great did they increase? Well, when we get to, to Exodus chapter 12, where we see them leaving Egypt, being set free from slavery in Egypt, scripture in, Genesis, in Exodus 12 says there were 600,000 men. 
not including the women and children, just, just the men. So if you figure most of those dudes getting married and then they having kids, the, most historians and theologians would say there would be between, between 2.5 million and 3.2 million. This promise exploding. In Genesis 46, three, God had said to Jacob, I'm, I'm the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I'll make you a great nation there. And so you get to verses one to seven and you know the whole history now up to this point. And, and now it's not just a list of names. This is God's promises exploding off of the pages of scripture. That promise, I'll multiply you. I'll multiply you. And from 70 people to this huge nation. Now, now the first readers of Exodus would have been a, a generation or two removed from those who had seen God miraculously deliver them from Egypt. So, so they're a little bit separated now from seeing God's mighty hand at work in this promise. And so they're now wondering probably, hey, is, are God's promises true? Is he the real deal? Is he gonna come through in this time of struggle and trial and wandering? And, and is, is the promise gonna come to us? And they would read this. And they're thinking, really? From 70 to who we are now, a nation? Man, God's blessings are amazing. Look how he's multiplied us. God's promises are true. His blessings are obvious. Here's a little side note here, kind of coming out of the text here for a second, but here's, here's something I wanted to say. You see the blessing as they multiply? We see the same blessing here. Let me get real specific. Our kids' ministry just explodes all the time. It's just always outgrowing our ability to keep up with it. That's, that's a blessing. That you keep having more kids. You keep adopting more kids. You keep fostering more kids. There's a blessing there. There's a second blessing that happens in that, that we get to come alongside as, as a church and go, man, we get to raise these kids to know the promises of God, to know who they get to serve, that, that God loves them and cares for them. And we get to do, to be a part of that. And, and here's what's happened in our church. A little side thing here, right? We'll get back to the text. Give me a break. All right. We went from being one large church with, with a small church in Perry Sound and we, we planted a church and now we've become more of a mid to mid-sized churches in Huntsville, Bracebridge and the small church in, in, in Perry Sound. And what happened is there's this, this strain on us, but I think it's a cool opportunity. The strain is this, when you're a really big church of seven, 800 people, you kind of just sit back and cruise and people take care of things for you and you can just be a part of it. And, and now all of a sudden as a more mid-sized church, it's kind of back to the old days when we first planted, which is like, hey, we need you all, all hands on deck. Welcome to our church. Here's your jersey. You're on the team, right? That's a blessing. That, that's a good thing because now you have this opportunity of, of man, I, I, I can't just cruise anymore because people need me. I get to be a part of something and, and you can be a part of something with Harvest Kids or serving anywhere around here where you get to be a part of that blessing of seeing God at work, of, of having an eternal impact with your life. Man, I'm, I'm just talking about Harvest Kids. I was thinking about my kids. They've graduated out of Harvest Kids now, but you could ask my daughters about their time in Harvest Kids and they'll remember back to when they were little kids and they could tell you about their teachers, about the impact they had in their life. That's eternal impact. All right, commercial over. Let's get back to the text. Genesis ends with Joseph and his family. They're in Egypt and you're thinking, man, this is the promise happening. Joseph's this big deal in Egypt. They're growing large. Obviously, this is the, the strong nation that God promised them. It is happening here. And, and the promise must be rolling out right now. And then comes the next verses. Look at verse eight. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. 
Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and, and Ramses. And, and, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field and all the work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This begins to look bleak. You got this new Pharaoh who comes in who didn't know Joseph. A new ruler, and he's looking around at this, this nation that's growing in his country, and he's looking and going, man, who are these people getting bigger and stronger? And he starts to get fearful and thinks, man, if, if they join up with our enemies, they could attack us and take us out. And so he says, let's take care of them now. And what's he do? He puts them into slavery. And, and what we're going to see as the main theme throughout this whole book of Exodus that, that ultimately is going to point us to Jesus, and, and it's here in verse 14. Verse 14, and he made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. That word there, hard service, it's actually the same word that's used the other three times in that verse where it says work in the field, work ruthlessly, work as slaves. It's, it's as though Moses is trying to make a point here. He's, he's pressing in on where their lives were at that under these taskmasters, now here's what a taskmaster is. It's not like your boss. If you have a boss, that's a tough boss. A taskmaster is a, a few steps up from that, all right? A taskmaster is someone who uses you completely for their gain. Uses a life, just throws you away so they get what they want. So that your, your whole life, your whole identity, your whole purpose is to be used by them. That means with a, with a taskmaster, you don't have any input. You don't have any power. You don't have any agency in it. It's all what the taskmaster wants. So your life, your purpose, your identity is this. You're a slave in service to the taskmaster. And Moses, he's making this point here and, and he's, he's, he's repeating it over and over again. Their lives are bitter as they serve. That's the word there, work or serve or enslave to as they served Pharaoh that their service became their identity. This is who they are. They were the ones who served and it's service to this king. And, and we're gonna see this theme throughout the book of Exodus that, that when you serve or when you worship anything or anyone more than you serve or worship God, the result always produces bitterness. It's only in serving, it's only in seeing and savoring and loving and, and, and worshiping God that there's true freedom. And so when you think of Exodus, we always think of Exodus is the story of God's people being set free. And it is that, but it's, it's not just being set free to, to, to be whoever they want to be. God frees them from worshiping what brings bitterness and brokenness and pain. He frees them so they can, listen, so we can worship him. And in worshiping and serving God, we find that true freedom that our hearts are longing for. 
Now, why would I say that? Because when you actually get to the place where Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says those famous words, right? Those famous words, let my people go, right? And if you're old enough, you have like Charlton Heston going on in your head right there, right? And he says that, those famous words, and we all know those words, right? Let my people go. But here's the thing, that was only half of what Moses said. What God was saying through Moses to Pharaoh, actually when you read it in, in Exodus 7 and Exodus 8, when he goes to Pharaoh, God is saying, let my people go so that they can worship me. It wasn't just freedom for freedom's sake. He's saying, let my people go so they can serve me, so they can worship me. Not, not hey, let us go so we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. God is at work setting his people free from this taskmaster, from being used and abused by the person who they're serving, to be set free from the bitterness and the heartache and the brokenness of worshiping this taskmaster to find the freedom that comes from serving and worshiping him. Now, it sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it, to say that our freedom is found in serving because we have this idea when, when we hear the word freedom, we think, man, I, I'm set free. No one tells me what to do with my time, my energy, my life. I can do what I want, when I want, whenever, whatever. But the Bible doesn't define freedom that way. In fact, the biblical definition of freedom is not that you have no, no one controlling your time or your effort or your stuff. That, that's not freedom at all. What, what the Bible defines as freedom is when you're serving the right master. Here's why I would say that. Here's why that's a reality. When you look in scripture, you see that we are created by God and we're created with a purpose. We're created hardwired to be worshipers. That's how God created us. And so what happens is we're always seeking someone or something to worship. And if you're not worshiping God with your heart and with your life, you will grab a hold of something or someone. We're just hardwired to do it. And when we grab a hold of someone or something else to worship instead of God, the Bible calls that idolatry. When you worship something or pursue something more than you pursue God, and listen, the weight of it is the same as the weight that the Israelites felt in Egypt. The weight of worshiping that idol, worshiping that other king, worshiping that other love, it leads to bitterness and brokenness. Tim Keller says it this way when he talks about what an idol is. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. He goes on, he says, an idol is anything you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I feel that my life has meaning. Then I know I have value. Then I feel significant and secure. He says, there are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but maybe the best one is worship. And what God is saying all through scripture, what, he, what he's saying clearly here in verse 14, if you serve or worship anything, anyone other than the Lord, the result will always be bitterness. And there's true freedom to be had. God's saying, I'm coming in to rescue you. And there's freedom when I rescue. Not freedom that you have no master because if, if you say I have no master, that's freedom. You're actually serving yourself and we make horrible gods, not great, great kings of our lives. But freedom's found when you're serving the master you were created to serve, when you're serving God and God alone. Because when the world uses you, it creates bitterness 
It creates cynicism. When, when that's your taskmaster, it, it creates exhaustion and anxiety and fear. You become enslaved to it, just like the children of Israel. But listen, when you serve God, when your heart's affection is to him, there is joy and hope and life and peace. Let me walk it out how, the, how this worked in my life most recently. This, this is how it's played out in me. This past summer, I mean, it was, it was over two decades in ministry. It was over 10 years here leading this church. And, and I was spent, like I was done. And by God's grace, the elders saw that. They're like, Kai is not doing well. And they said, hey, let's give, you, let's, give you, let's give you part of July and August out of leadership, out of the pulpit, where you don't need to preach. You can step out. You can get some rest because it looks like you're not doing well. And here's the thing. So I, I step out to get rest, but he, here's the weird thing that happens. In the middle of that, what should have been a time of rest, whew, I get to, get to release some things. In that space, my heart was wrestling. What was going on? Well, well as I release an idol, I step away for some time, what God began to reveal is, is that I had made ministry an idol especially being successful at it. And, and here I was now, definitely not successful in a place where man, I've, I've failed. I can't keep going. I can't be the strong leader that I, I, I thought I was. And, and it began to wreck me. I'd made comfort an idol. I mean, I had this plan all set up. Like I, I knew what, what God's plan for me was and, and this is what it was gonna look like and it's gonna work out so well, all the plans to make sure I'm okay. And then, then in this moment, God flips it all upside down. In, in that season leading up to the summer, just stuff was going on where God's saying, comfort, no, that's not gonna be right. And he's pulling things away by his grace. I mean, if you've been here for a, for a time, you, I mean, one of the things God, God I, I believe in his sovereign hand, pulled away was, was Pastor Lee. Pastor Lee was like an answer to prayer for me. He's a guy that I've been praying, God, I've been doing ministry, it feels like on my own for so long, would you just send me a good, deep, close friend and guy I can partner with in ministry? God brings Lee, I'm like, this is it, this is it. And then Lee goes back to Texas. That was hard. Church was difficult at this time. Life was not comfortable. Ministry in jeopardy. And, and God's saying, listen, I'm pulling some stuff away from you. God showed that I'd made approval an idol. To be sure that everybody around me, are, is everyone doing okay? And especially, are you doing okay with me? Are we walking this out all right? And, and, and in that season, unlike any other season in ministry of this church, where, where, where for a season, for a time there, the people are no longer cheering and high-fiving and, and there was strife and struggle like we haven't seen before. And in that, in all of that, now I'm experiencing anxiety and fear and frustration and despair. Why? Why was I wrecked? Because the end result of idolatry, serving other gods, serving other kings is always bitterness. The end result of serving and worshiping and putting our affection on anything other than Christ always ends in bitterness. I mean, think about your own life. Any time you have, you've had your heart wrapped up in something or someone, that, that relationship that took your whole heart, that, that situation, that, that job. And, and yeah, you might not bow down and worship it and sing songs to it, but, but it's so clear as you, as you go before the Lord that this is something that that's, has a hold on you, that's a taskmaster in your life, that is ruling your life. 
It's that idol, that, 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 thin, that thing that you would sin to get, that thing you would sin to keep, that thing, if it was removed from you, would destroy you. What is that for you? What would that taskmaster be for you? Maybe it's your career. And you'd strive for it. You envision what it's going to be like and, and, and you sacrifice everything. It controls your schedule. It controls your energy, your time, your emotions. Or maybe for you, it's a relationship. Wait, wait, let's start here. Maybe it's a lack of a relationship. And your heart is just so wrapped up in that and, and this desire and wrecked by, by not having what you want. And, and there's, a, there's a bitterness and an anger that grows. There's a, a dis, distrust of God that grows. And maybe it's a relationship. There's just struggling. That, that, that relationship, that person that controls your emotions, controls your hope. Or it could be something as great as an idol. It could be something even as great as our kids. And, and you find that your life rises and falls. You're, you're crushed or you're elated on how your kids are doing. Or maybe it's your image, or maybe it's your, your education, or maybe it's your position and your status. Maybe it's your health or your looks. Maybe it's your comfort or your schedule or your money or your control or... And, and the end result of putting our lives under these taskmasters always ends in bitterness because you were created to serve and to worship God. We, we were created to put him first in our heart. We were created to love the Lord our God with our whole hearts. And, and when we need, when we pursue, when we seek after all these other things, it eventually, it always produces bitterness, oppression, and destruction. And so what's going on in Exodus is God's, God's trying to draw the heart of his people. He's trying to gain their attention. And, and God in, in the Exodus, in the, the slavery, even in the 400 years they were under this oppression, it's as though God's saying, I'm trying to get your attention. Look here. Look to where your hope is. If you've got kids, you ever have that moment with your kids where you're trying to talk to them and they just won't look at you? And you're like, no, 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 look at me for a second. No, I got something I want to talk to you about. Just, just look at me. No, no, look here. And you plead to them, right? For a while, you're like, just look. I just, just let me see your eyes. But eventually, what do you do? If, if you, you've got something so serious, so heart depth that you want to explain, you eventually grab their little face, don't you? And you just kind of turn, like, no, no, look. And you, you just gently bring their eyes to your eyes. Say, I need you to see me for a second. I think that's what God's up to here in Exodus. He's saying, I, I need your attention. I want you to see me right now. See what I have for you. Look at the situation you're in. Look at all these other places you're looking to for hope and for life. And God said, no, no, look here. But I got to tell you, over, over this last season, these la this last month or two or whatever, I've, I've just so loved spending time with Pastor Matt. And here's why. I mean, for those of you who know the story where Pastor Matt was like brought to as, as rock bottom as you can get, where, where he thought, we all thought he was going to die. In the hospital, hooked up to tubes, and this is it. We're losing our pastor. And, and then he starts to come back, but now the struggle in, in that time is, is, will he ever walk again? Will he ever move again? Will he ever talk again? What's going on in his brain and, and all these struggles? And, and so now you, you fast track to where he is right now. And even, 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 
Because God removed everything. And, and, and even, 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 even now, not really having a lot of solid answers, like, like, like will he ever walk without crutches? Will his hands ever work again? Like, those are still questions that are, that are ruminating in his head and his heart that he's asking. But, but as he's kind of wondering, God, is this my new normal? There's this clarity in him these days. And I'm sure he's not always perfect. I'm sure he, he wrestles deep and dark thoughts and fears, but there's this, this language coming out of Matt now where he's saying, God, my life is yours. My hope is found in you alone because I don't have anything else. I'll tell you where, where God's taking me these days. God is so gracious and loving that he reveals idols. So gracious and loving that he begins to pry them out of our hands. And it's painful when that happens as he pulls them out. But listen, there is freedom on the other end. For me, there was a moment this summer where I got to that place where I just had to release it all and say, God, it's yours. God, this church is yours. God, God, my family is yours. God, God, what I do in ministry is yours. God, my control, my comfort, all of this, Lord, it's yours. And, the, and now there continues to be this daily walk. And this, this is what God calls all of us to, this daily move where we bring our lives before the Lord in repentance and say, God, here's the idol. I know you're, I know you're grabbing at this. I want to release this again today. And Jesus, I want you on the throne. It's in that move. It's in that move of saying, Lord, this is yours. Jesus, you're where my heart goes. You're the king of my life. In that moment, that's where the anxiety is released. That's where the fear is let go of. That's where the, the idols begin to lose their power. The taskmaster no longer has the rule over you and there's joy. And there's a prayer you'll begin to hear yourself pray more in these moments where you get to that place where you'd say, Lord, if you want me to walk through dark valleys for the rest of my days, I'm willing to do it because I know you're gonna walk with me. Fear can't touch that truth. I believe it's why Jesus says in John 8, 36, he says, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. No matter the circumstances, no matter where you find yourself, you're set free. But here it is, loved ones. Listen, listen. Freedom is not found in not having a master. Freedom is found. Real, genuine, true freedom is found when you're serving the right master. Let me wrap it up this way. As you think about your life even right now, Begin to think about your situation, your life situation. Maybe you think of your marriage. Maybe you think of relationships you have. Maybe you think of your kids, if you've got kids. Maybe you, you think of, of, if you're a student, what, what school is like, your job, your, the situation you find yourself in life right now. Are there th some things right now you could point to and say, these things are becoming a taskmaster. And bitterness is growing. And frustration and anger and fear, and anxiousness. Here's what Exodus is saying. Here's what God's word is saying. He's saying that bitterness comes. Why? Because we're serving the wrong master. We're trying to find something in that thing, in that person that only God can give you. But here's the other thing God's saying in the book of Exodus. He's saying, you can be free from that. 
He's stepping in to, the, to that moment of, of the oppressive weight of being under the, the taskmaster of, of idolatry, the taskmaster of sin, the taskmaster of brokenness. And he's saying, I can set you free from that. Listen, if you don't know Christ this morning, there is freedom for you and it's found nowhere else but in Jesus. If you are a Christ follower, then you know the truth of this, that that because of the cross of Christ, him dying in your place and raising again from the dead, you have been set free. You have had your exodus. You've been taken out. The taskmaster no longer has rule over you. You've been set free. Why? So that you can worship and serve Jesus. I mean, that's why God sets you free. You're set free to serve him. And, and you'll experience this every day, real, true, genuine freedom in life as, as you give the Lord your heart, as you stop pursuing other idols. So that really when we start this book of Exodus, we're gonna see all the way through this book, we're going to see the book point to the hope we have in the cross of Christ. That Jesus came as the ultimate rescuer. And, and Jesus comes and he says, hey, hey, look away from those other idols. I've set you free from that. And yes, yes, you're gonna hear the lie of the enemy that says, no, this is who you are. Your identity is found in this. Your hope is found in this. This is, who, you are a slave to me. That's what the enemy's gonna say. And yet Christ steps in and says, it's not true. I've set you free. You no longer serve that master. You now serve me. And yes, Christ was bruised by Satan on the cross, but it's on the cross where he took our shame and our fear and our bondage and our punishment because of our sin. He took the beating of the taskmaster that should have been our beating on our behalf and bruised on the cross, he crushed the head of the enemy. And the penalty's gone. The the taskmaster is done away with and you are set free, no longer having to serve the taskmaster. Why? Because the cross covers it all. No matter what past you bring in here with you today, the cross covers that. No no matter what trouble you may have in the days to come, the cross covers that. You're set free. Set free to worship Christ alone where there's true freedom. And so maybe right now, uh, before we sing today, as the worship team has Eric and Lindsay come up, (laughs) the whole team as they come up this morning, maybe you'd you'd want to bow your head and close your eyes right now where you are. That maybe as you you sit where you are, maybe you'd, you'd want to bow your head and close your eyes. And as you think about this idea of, of being set free, And maybe right now you take a moment to start to begin to think about what, what are the taskmasters in my life? What have I allowed to rule over me? And even right now, just confess to God in your heart what's been going on, how you've been going after this. Say, God, this is what it's producing. And maybe for you it's bitterness or fear or anxiousness or anger. And right now you can surrender that to God right now. In a real way, imagine releasing the grip of what you hold so tightly to to say, God, this is yours. God, this relationship is yours. God, this situation is yours. God, this health issue is yours. 
God, this struggle is yours. God, this good thing that I hold on to and I find my hope in it, God, is actually yours. Let them know that you want to experience the freedom that Jesus promised that he would give to those who are in captivity. Those who are slaves to sin, he says, I can set you free. Set you free to be a servant of his. To know that when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So maybe in this moment as you pray, your prayer is, God, I want you to be king of my heart. God, I want to trust you completely. God, I don't want just freedom for myself to go after my own things. I want to go after you. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now you would do the work that only you can do. God, that you would draw our hearts. That you would pry our hands from the idols we cling so tightly to. The things that don't actually bring freedom. Father, I pray that even right now you would help us see more clearly the cross to see that you are such a good God. You're a God who loves us. You're a God who rescues us. You're not a God who's far off in a way, who doesn't hear the struggles and the groans of his people, but you you enter into them and you, you set us free. God, remind us that we have been saved. We have not been forgotten. Father, I pray this, that we would recognize that we have not been set free just for freedom's sake, but you have set us free to worship you to lift high your name. So God, would you, would you stir our affections to have a greater affection for you that would displace all the other affections that we have? And God, that out of that heart that loves you so deeply would, would flow a love for each other, a love for the community you have around us, and you would send us out as those who are free to worship you. Send us out as those who are free to serve you wherever you send us. I pray this in Jesus' name.